Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. Man, I love that song. Awesome. It's going to be a great day in the house, isn't it? Man, I'm really, really excited for this morning to go Chiefs. There it is. I love it, man. I hope they go all the way this year. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, man, it's going to be a great day. Last week we talked about uh, complaining a little bit. Man, I was so pumped because uh, I was talking about this series going on for like four or five years. And it looks like just from you guys' Facebook feedback that, man, we're going to have to end this series this week. You guys have really been all over that. Like, man, that was, I mean, God's speaking to people. I guess we're stepping on some toes. And we got the toes stepped on last week. I know a few were like, man, stepping on my toes. Well, this morning, uh, Billy curl those toes in because it's going to happen again, I think. Um, talking about a little bit of criticism. But I'm going to introduce this uh, theme today just with a, a story of mine. Uh, when I was in college, I served at a church called Noble Hill. I uh, worked with uh, a bunch of young pe- people, uh, inner city kids, um, and we'd bust them up. Like, literally started a bus ministry. We brought them up to this church every single Wednesday night for Awana. I ran the game time at Awana. Can you believe that? If you know what that is, uh, me and kids, we love each other, love to hate each other. I'm just kidding. And uh, we had a couple of Awana circles. It was great. We were feeding the kids meals and all this cool stuff. And, uh, you know, there's always that one person in church that's kind of critical and rude. Don't point fingers if it's you. You know I'm talking to you. And, uh, you know, you cut that person down and, like, Satan, like, brings back two of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, one of those weeds you can't get rid of. It's a spiritual principle, honestly. I think every church has somebody like that. Well, that person found me. Uh, there was a kid in the, uh, the, the service that we brought uh, on a Sunday morning. We used to pick those kids up on Sunday a little bit, too. And this kid turned the lights off in a gym like this during a baby shower. And so you can imagine how this guy was kind of fuming, right? And so he uh, was looking for uh, what he said, the leader of the Rat Pack. Present. That was me, the leader of the Rat Pack of kids. And uh, he came to me and said, who's the leader of this Rat Pack? And he kind of knew it was me. And I said, well, I guess that's me. And he said, hey, you need to take your Rat Pack group of kids and you need to go somewhere else. This church is a country church. We're going to be a country church. We're always going to be a country church. If you feel called to lead these kids, go start your own church. So we're going to talk about criticism today. Can we do that? I could preach a message right now. I thought Barry's going to preach a message a minute ago. It was going good. I was like, man, you know, get your wife in here. I'll give you the microphone. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? It'd go really good. But there's always somebody that's critical, right? And today we're going to talk about my big fat mouth and criticism. In that moment, I felt depleted. I mean, I had served so hard and so faithfully. And I had no idea, like, church politics. I mean, I was like 20. Like, what's, what, you, he's the head deacon, by the way. I didn't mention that in the story. So I was like, so you're basically telling me is we've worked really hard. You don't want any of these kids to come, you know? And so I was really discouraged. I was a little hot, a little mad. I stormed out of there like, yeah, whatever. I don't know if I'm going to come back. I don't know if I'm going to give up on these kids. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so this morning, I think, you know, sometimes it's so easy to be critical. It's so easy to, to, to think, well, I'm not that person. But today we very well might be that person. Some of you are probably thinking right now, thank God for this message because I know somebody needs it. Much like Christy needs this message like Barry's talking about. You're probably thinking, my spouse needs to hear this. You better get here today. You're probably thinking about your boss. Like, man, I'm going to send the link to this message. Like, right when it's over, they're going to get this. Just read between the lines. Like, you're not critical at all. Just watch the video. It's going to be good for you. But you know what I think is somebody, but I remind you, this is uh, my big fat mouth, okay? Not their big fat mouth. So I'm going to be kind of like up in your grill a little bit. I'm going to my own grill. And I'll talk about my story about that a little bit later. But the problem with criticism, it's so hard to see if you have a critical spirit. It's so hard to look in the mirror and be like, oh, yeah, that's me so hard to see that. Like, we don't, we don't want to take criticism. Like, none of us want to hear somebody criticize us. Amen? But some, many of us are just critical. 
like we give it away and we justify it pretty easily because like if you weren't so weird, right? Like if you didn't wear skinny jeans and you know slow your words and talk fast, like man, I love your preaching, you know? Or like <laughs> I like this guy. So we're gonna pause for a moment and <laughs> take this guy out. Or if you if you didn't spend your money so unwisely. Like, what were you thinking? So many times you're like, man, you're so dumb. Oh, you th- just not connecting the dots, kid. Like, what? Are you serious? We become so critical of people around us that really love us the most or we should love the most. It's so easy to become critical and we can justify our criticism. Oftentimes, uh, we, we start just saying, hey, I, I, mean, I don't like the way you dress. I can't believe, you see what she posted? She's wearing, what? You spent money on that? Like, you have, they don't have any money. I can't believe they're doing that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, we're criticizing everything we can around us because we have a critical spirit. Uh, you know, think about it's all the quiet in here today. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. I mean, God's probably speaking to you, just not liking it. I like that. But there's a really popular verse in the Bible. If you're not a Christian, uh, you might have heard this verse. And if you are a Christian, you probably heard this verse. But there's a verse behind this verse that's not so popular. It's not so famous. And uh, if you're a Christian, you're probably like, man, I didn't really realize that was right behind this verse. So I'm going to jump into it. Uh, Paul says to this church, uh, the believers in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, he says, For the whole law can be summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, I mean, goosebumps. I love it, man. Like, we love each other. It's all big love hug. It's like, man, we all agree on this. This is a good principle. Next verse, the one we don't want to read too often. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, man, why went from love to biting and devouring? Man, what happened here, right? Watch out. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I mean, how is it that we go from love your neighbor yourself, and the first thing I'm going to tell you is watch your mouth. Isn't that crazy? We tear people down so fast. Like, what we love people is with our lips, right? Like, what we say, the words of encouragement or the words of discouragement. So be careful if you're a constantly critical person. If you're constantly cutting somebody down. Some of you are like, man, I grew up in that world, right? Like, that was my family. It's like passed down in my genes. Like, that's me, right? Anybody have that family where it's like, that's a critical person all the way around? It's kind of passed down, right? And our words can be super harsh. They can be this totally unplaced. We have no idea why we're saying them, but we just kind of have an opinion. And so we can be careful not to share things. Like, what if your mouth was destroying your relationship with your spouse? Like the intimacy you should have. Or oftentimes with your kids, you build this wall of resentment between you and your kids because you're so harsh. You're finding everything that's not right, but you never find anything that's right. You're always looking for things that are wrong. You're trying to correct something, but you're missing all the good things that are actually happening. Oftentimes we distance ourselves from the very people who love us the most. Maybe it's the roommate that wears all your clothes and eats your food, right? Or it's your mom or dad that's like, man, you don't know me. You're not taking care of me. I didn't get, this isn't good food. This food for more. Mommy, give me some McDonald's. You know? Like it's never good enough, right? Especially a teenager. It's always somebody's problem. And so many times we push ourselves away from the people we really care about. Oftentimes the ones that love us the most. And ultimately we damage our ability to witness. Because we're telling people about Jesus. And they're like, man, I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that's that critical. And so we're very, we can't tell people about Jesus because we're so critical in our spirit. So I want to share a couple of verses with you what it looks like to actually use your words well. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs says this in Proverbs 12, 18. It says, some people make cutting remarks. Some people cut people down. Some people use the words that hurt. But the words of a wise person bring healing. The words of a wise person, they can say hard things, amen. But they can do it a certain way because they love people. My greatest leaders in my life can say hard things to me in love, and I'm like, yeah, I should probably learn that. I'm humbled by what they say. But it's all about how you say it, right? Because you're using words to help people, because the purpose isn't to punish. The purpose is a consequence or to encourage or to build up those around us. Paul says this way in Ephesians 4.29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So we're going to be where they're at, that it may be benefit the listener. 
So we're going to speak no words that tear somebody down. I imagine this week's going to be awfully quiet around some of our houses. <laughs> Maybe after church. I mean, we're going to get out of this gathering. People are like, there's nothing to say. Like, man, I got, if you don't like this message, well, too bad. <laughs> right? Like, I don't like Sean today. Oh, dang it. You know? What are you going to say, right? So if words are helpful to build somebody up, like, are your words helping somebody else become better? Imagine every sentence was purposeful. Everything you said to your kids, everything you said to your spouse, everything you said to your boss or to your roommate or to your friend was there for encouragement. Like, yes, you're going to feel like you didn't get your point, you didn't get your way, but you know what? You're helping them become who God calls them to be because, right, it says they're according to their needs. We're going to meet people exactly where they're at, not what I expect them to be at. Here's what I hope you understand today, that one thing of criticism, just one act of criticism can burn into somebody's heart can discourage them for years and years and years and leave wounds. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody in their life where their dad made said something to them when they were a teenager and they stuck with them their entire life. Or maybe these words of discouragement about being the Rat Pack leader. I'd never forget those words. I could tell you every part of that whole story because it's that serious to me that I was so discouraged and so distraught and so emotionally upset that I couldn't believe that somebody would actually say this stuff to somebody that was serving so hard for Christ in the church. I didn't know the guy's name. These guys tell me this stuff. These words can drive us to extremes. These words can shape our life. These words of negativity spoken over us. But on the other side of the coin, you can use words of positive encouragement. Just one act of encouragement can change somebody's life. One act of encouragement can build them up. You can speak in somebody's life and take them where they never thought possible because you believe in them. You may be the first person to actually believe in somebody. I love when somebody goes to church and they get a hug. Because you know what? A lot of people don't get hugs in life. Like some people don't get the words, I love you from anybody. And if any place in the world you should go to church and feel like you're accepted, and feel like you're loved, it should be here, amen? amen? And so they come here and feel like I can belong. I don't know if I believe everything you're saying, but I know people love me. I know people care about me. And so this was a man when I was at Noble Hill after this conversation happened named Phil McGee. Uh, Phil McGee ran the Iwana program. He was also a deacon, believe it or not. So it must have been some leadership uh, differential, uh, like different visions for this kid's ministry apparently. But Phil McGee came up to me and he was like a spiritual father at the time. He said, Sean, hey, don't worry about what he said to you. You're doing the right stuff. Like these kids need what you're giving them. These kids come from a really dysfunctional place. You're bringing 100 kids a week here. You're making a difference in the cause of Christ. We've had 30 kids come to Christ out of this bus ministry in this last year. You just keep on doing what you're doing, man. I believe in you. God's going to use you to do great things. That was his heart. And I shared his faith. Like he gave me hope. It wasn't my hope that kept me going. I borrowed his hope. Amen. He spoke words into my life that helped me press on. And so Phil was a life giver. He wasn't a life taker like the other guy. So my question this morning is real simple for you. Which one do you want to be? What do you want to mark your life? Do you want to be a life-giving person or a life-taking person? So I'm going to give you two options, what this may look like for you. The first option you have, type person you can be, is one is a fault finder. You can be the person that finds the faults in everything, finds all the wrong. And I would say this is the majority of people you run into in life, isn't it? They're always looking for the negative, always trying to find the bad things. And I think it's because we're sinners, right? Like it's natural, this is who we are, that we're sinful from God and we're always trying to prove ourselves and make ourselves better. It's our sin nature that drives us to this point. We're looking at people of not who they are, but who they're not. We're telling people the wrong things instead of building them up. You need to be careful if you're married today, amen? We can do this so easy. We can destroy our spouse by like maybe breakfast or lunch. Maybe breakfast, I mean, you know? I mean, I don't like the way you chew your food. 
Quit smacking your lips. You're, you're buying your fork, you know? Oh, man, driving insane. My, my, uh, my jaw pops when I eat, you know? It's like earthquake, boom, boom. You're like, what are you doing? You know what you're talking about. I mean, people are snoring all night long, like that, and you like, you know, have a way to control that, right? Your snoring drives me insane. You stop snoring. Like, okay, well, I guess I'll figure that out. So I feel like I'm going to suffocate one of these nights, right? Like, what's going to happen, right? What are you really going to do about it? Even the way you breathe drives me insane. <laughs> You've had that conversation, don't lie. Don't you talk to me after you drink that coffee. It's true. You have it. You, you know it's true. This is what happens in our lives. Man, you go to the office and the girls run that meeting again. You're like, man, for real? I can't stand this lady. Oh, I don't know what she's talking about. She makes no sense. This meeting's way too long. Do you see what she posted last week on Instagram? What was she wearing last time we had this meeting? Oh, it's so terrible. Man, she's a terrible driver. I saw her come in the parking lot today. It's a good thing she never wears real life bumper stickers. Don't pass those out. She'd be a cause for Christ. People stop going to church. We're so critical, right? This is who we are. You know what I'm talking about. It's probably you they're talking about, but it's so easy to be a fault finder, isn't it? It's so easy. I mean, we find faults every day. I look at my life I'm like, man, I've been a fault finder. Like, I find faults everywhere, you know? Like, that's just like my radar. Like, I was up here like, man, these chairs are too close today. They're one tile off. I noticed that. <laughs> Barry knows. He's like, I'm all over Barry today. But the rest looks great. It's so super positive. Looks great. But you think about, think about who the fault finders were in the Bible. Who were they? They're the Pharisees. The Pharisees are always finding faults. They're always condemning people, always looking for a sin, always finding the negative, always pointing it out, always exploiting, always trying to show how smart they were, always trying to tear people down. I think of even the devil himself. He's called the accuser in Revelation 12. He accuses people of their sin. He's the ultimate fault finder. Matter of fact, some of us believe our faults so bad that we're at least literally sitting in a cage that's unlocked. We're set free from our sin, but we're living in our sin because we feel like we're accused. We're full of shame. We're full of doubt. We're full of guilt. And we need somebody to come along and bring some hope in our life. Amen? We need not be like the Pharisees. And why do we do this? Like, why is it so easy to find faults? And I think it's just simple pride. Like, simply pride, like, man, look how smart I am. Like, I knew the chairs were off today, <laughs> right? Like, who's the expert? Like, who knows everything? Like, who, who's the person who's got it down? Like, we have to kind of show ourselves to be strong. And I think a lot of this is insecurity. And I think if you could, like, preach a message right here. Like, we have to tear people down because they're good at something that we're not good at. Like, people that are successful, we're mad at their success. As if it had anything to do with our own success. Like, you can't be successful because I'm not successful. Like, we're tearing down somebody. Somebody has a great ability. I was thinking today, like, Barry, you tore it up earlier, by the way. And uh, I was thinking, man, I'm sorry, but man, he's really good. It's like, you know what it takes to be a great preacher is to find good people and be like, I'm willing to put them on my shoulders. They're better than me. Be better than me. I like it. It's great. I think you should go farther. I think we should champion that, right? Like, we can't let insecurity drive our leadership or drive our relationships. So I think it's amazing. I mean, that's what we got to do. Our insecurity drives us so much. Or sometimes we just don't understand the situation. Like, we don't have any context, but we think we know it, right? Like, we think we know context. You know, come on now, you've been to church long enough. Got the roast preacher, right? You got church context. This is me in my 20s. Like, I knew everything about church. Like, I thought I did, right? Like, this and that. This should be this way. We're so critical of all this stuff. Think about this. Before I had kids, I saw, you know, parents in the, in the grocery store. Whoa, Jesus is here in the house, man. Like, I don't hear any negativity or criticism about that. I love you guys in the back. That was amazing. But anyway... So you go to the grocery store and these parents, these kids around that crazy, two-year-olds is going nuts. You're like, man, these parents are terrible. I can't believe they do this and this and this. And then you have your own kids, right? You get a little context. And like what you realize is you can't negotiate with a terrorist. Like you can't. It's just, it's going to happen. 
Like, you're just going to give them whatever they want. Get the candy, get the Porsche, get the pony, get in the car, shut up before you embarrass me some more. This is how it's going to work, right? Like, that's how we're going to operate. And you have, you, all of a sudden, you're like, man, I'm not going to judge anymore, parents. Like, you do what you want to do. Those kids are hard. Like, you're lucky to be alive. I can't imagine. We can't get up in the morning. Like, what's wrong with these people? Like, the screaming kids. Like, how's oh, that's normal. Normal. Defeated. It's over. But we're so, we're so critical of people, right? Because we won't be the expert, and we have to show it off. And sometimes we think we're cool looking. Like, we're like, oh, look how cool I am. I'm critical. But really, you kind of look mean. You look rude and look inconsiderate. That's what we look like. And now I want to tell you, just ask this question. Have you ever met somebody that's critical that you want to be like? Like, oh, man, look at him. He's tearing down. That, ah, man, I'm be cool like you. Have no friends, you know? <laughs> like, how does that work? I look at people critical in my life. I'm like, man, they never cease to be critical. And I never cease not to want to be around them. Like, I, I just don't ever want to be around them. I get kind of tired of being around the critical people in my life. And, you know, there's a verse I want to share with you, and uh, I'm going to take some criticism for this verse. I know I'm going to. And it's in the Bible. And so uh, I want to encourage you to keep your elbows in, and uh, don't nod, and don't say amen. If you do, your life is over when I read this verse. You're going to be, your life is over. Proverbs 21, 19 says this, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Oh, boy. <laughs> May God have blessings to the word. I told you guys not to do anything, man. Lives are over. There's not a verse in the Bible for men, but, you know, if they add one down the road, they call it 1 Peter 12, 24. You'd be like, better put bamboo on your fingernails than live with the man that tears you apart every single day. So you can say amen to that, ladies. You get your little chance. But there's not a verse, but it doesn't give you any choices here, guys. You're going to, you're not, no exceptions here. But you ever met a critical person you want to hang out with? I mean, the Bible says it's better to live in the desert than to live with somebody who's quarrelsome. It's complaining. It's critical. No matter who you are. You know, I think of me, uh, my battle with this in my own life. Like, I was super critical. This is what I was. This is who I was. And I made a choice. Like, I don't want to be a fault finder. Like, I don't want to be the guy that's always negative and find all the stuff. Like, I don't have the solutions. But I want to be something different. And today I'm going to give you a second choice. And that's to be a hope dealer. Yes, that's with an H. Hope. <laughs> Catching on a little bit. <laughs> Hope, H, okay, hope dealer, okay? Now, if you're going to watch this later in Colorado, then you might have something different to say. But you can consume, but you can't deal. So you're still not going to make this happen, all right? But Paul says this about hope in Romans 15, 18. says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So you may be overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to be a hopeful person. God wants to fill you with hope so much so that it overflows out of you. And it's what you live over, your overflow. They're sharing hope with others. You know, Paul is a chief hope dealer. If you look in the Bible, look at all he did in his writings. He starts his book out with Thanksgiving. He says, thank you for all these people who have done these things. Thank you to God. He gives a doxology. He gives us glory to God for this stuff. And at the end, he gives a shout out to all these people that serve in that area. He's always building people up. This is what Paul's all about. This is what he does. And if you pick a chapter, I'm just going to pick Romans 8. This is some of the stuff he says about hope. He says, now therefore there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. He said the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He said Jesus makes intercession at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. This gives us hope. Amen. This gives me hope. He said that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Also gives me hope. He says you're neither, neither death nor life, nor demons or angels, nor principality or powers, nor things present or things future, nor height nor depth, nor anything else. Other creation will be up or separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that crazy? That gives me hope. There's hope that there's, uh, there's something bigger. He's not tearing us down and telling us our faults. He's a hope builder, not a fault finder. And you think about the Pharisees. They're fault finders. The devil's a fault finder. But Jesus is the ultimate hope giver. Amen. 
Jesus gives us hope. I love the metaphors in the Bible that talk about Jesus. He's the bread of life, the living water, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. It says in 1 Timothy that Jesus is our hope. That's who he's called. He's called our hope. In Titus 2, Jesus called the blessed hope. In 1 Peter, he calls Jesus the living hope. Jesus is our hope. You think about somebody caught in sin. The Pharisees were the first people to point out their sin. And Jesus was the first person to give them hope and restore them what they should be. Think about the woman caught in adultery. She's drug out into the streets because she's an adulterous woman. The Pharisees know her sin. They find out she is in sin. And so they now have the right, based on the law, the letter of the law, to stone her publicly. So they're going to get rocks and they're going to start throwing them until she dies. And so they're lined up and she's laying there on the ground and Jesus steps up. And what does Jesus do? He kneels down into the sand and he starts writing. We don't know what it's written in the sand. But many scholars believe he began to write the sins of all the Pharisees from the oldest to youngest. Just said, this is your sin. And that person walk off. Then you write the next person in sin, that person walk off until everybody walked away. There's nobody left. I think the beginning of us not to be critical is to understand that we are a chief of sinners. There's something we do every single day of our life that sins against God. There's something in my life that makes me imperfect every single day. And it's not just one thing, I promise you that, right? You follow me, ask Diane, ask my wife, she'll let you know. And Jesus is going to write something to sand about my life. He's going to write something to sand about everybody's life. And so it's not my job to pick a stone up and start throwing it. What's crazy about guys, he bends down next to this lady, accused of her sin. She's full of her shame. She's full of guilt and afraid for her life. He says, look up. Where are your accusers? Go sin no more. Isn't that crazy? That God gives us that much hope. He, didn't, he could have accused her. He could have done anything he wanted, but instead he restored her. He gave her words that built her up. Encouragement to follow him. Who do you want to be in your life? Like, what do you want to be about? Do you want to be a fault finder like the Pharisees or like the spiritual enemy, nitpicking, belittling, demeaning, tearing people down? Or do you want to be a hope dealer like Jesus, who's our hope, our living hope, the blessed hope that deals and lifts people up and strengthens them and encourages them? I want to encourage you today to be a hope dealer. Now, I was in that bus ministry. I served there for three years. We actually started that bus ministry. We started with zero kids. We ended up taking 100 kids to church every single week. These kids looked nothing like the church. I'll promise you that, right? These kids were the people who needed Jesus the most. They lived in very dysfunctional homes. If there was a parent there, it was pretty impressive. There wasn't a lot of dads. There wasn't a lot of parents, a lot of grandparents. The schools were very underfunded. Matter of fact, they're so underfunded, they let a weird dude like me hang out with those kids. Isn't that weird? I actually went camping and stuff with their field trips so I could invite kids to church and tell them about Jesus. It was that kind of culture where the principal was a Christian and he would tell the kids about Christ on retreats and different stuff. You can't do this stuff in, in different schools, right? And so we were taking these kids to church every single week and so I was really discouraged. But guess what? I knew these kids needed hope, amen? If anybody needed hope, these kids need hope. So I was going to serve. So on Tuesday nights, I'd go out and I'd visit these kids. I had a visitation ministry. Can you believe that? I was like 20. I was visiting families. I actually started doing counseling with adults. Believe that? I don't know what I was telling them. That's probably why it didn't work out. I have no idea. I was just doing anything I could to tell them about Christ, right? We're bringing kids to church. Matter of fact, I was so passionate about it. I came up here and worked on some of the weekends. I had a job down there. But I would work on the weekends because uh, my father-in-law, Jerry, gave me a job painting at Two Rivers. I painted a lot outside of Two Rivers. I wasn't uh, put in, but I did paint the outside. And... Um, <laughs> So I went up there and I'd drive home on Friday. Maybe I should have been, but I'd drive up on Friday. I, I literally brought my PC home, like my, my desktop, like the monitor and everything. Because that's like, uh, like, I was so poor. Right? I didn't have like the laptop back then. They had those, by the way, but I'm not that old. Anyway, so I bring it home because I'm the cheap old guy. I'd set up, do my homework, and then I'd go and I'd work about 12 hours over at, over, over at Two Rivers. And then I'd pack up and uh, I'd sleep maybe like four or five hours. And I'd drive down early past the church I was at. 
Church is 15 miles north of Springfield. I drive into Springfield, I pick these kids up, and I bring them back to church by the time church started every single Sunday for months and months and months and months. That's how much I love these kids because I believe that they needed hope. I had something inside of me that they needed, so I was gonna share it with them, the power of Jesus. And so for us, like we could be hope dealers today. This is what God's calling us to do. You, can, you have no idea how your criticism can tear apart your spouse. You have no idea how much you can destroy your intimacy in your marriage. You have no idea how hard you can make your kid's life just by not being an encouragement. You can't change what they're gonna do. Only Jesus can change that. You just keep pointing to the cross. I mean, we look foolish when we criticize. We take a long look back at it. Like, man, I'm a fool. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to control? Who am I trying to impress? You have no idea what one, one word of encouragement can do to help somebody out. One word of encouragement to bless somebody out, to build somebody up. You know, your kid may not be the cleanest kid, right? The room's probably not perfect. My house isn't perfect. But your kid's probably compassionate. It's probably funny. Probably love stuff. I'm going to challenge you. Find something positive to catch your kid doing today. Catch them doing something awesome. Catch something good in their life. They're, they will become who you say they are. I promise you that. If you catch them finding bad things, they'll become bad things. You catch them finding good things, they'll become good things. You know, if your roommate is all over you and takes all your stuff, wears your clothes, you know, kind of driving you insane, not that well kept, but she's loyal to you, you find a loyal friend, encourage her. You know, if your wife isn't that organized, she's not one of those Excel people, but she's a great mom, you should stop and say, if I had to do it all over again, baby, I'd marry you again. Like, I'm going to start believing in all that God's calling you to, not what he's not calling you to. I'm going to believe in what you're doing. And if you're a husband and you're out there mowing the lawn, you hate mowing that lawn, you're never going to win lawn of the month. Most of us aren't going to win lawn of the month, right? And you're, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm trying, but it ain't working out. And your husband's out there mowing, just say, man, you look so sexy out there in those black socks, pushing that lawnmower. Oh, man, I love when you mow the grass. You keep mowing, baby. Keep mowing. Your husband, I promise you, he's going to mow that grass two times a week. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna look perfect every single day. Man, words of encouragement, build somebody up. Build somebody up. Build somebody up. I mean, when you're around, the room should be higher. People should lift up. People, you walk in, but man, I love being around that person. They love me. They must be the, they may be the biggest mess up in the world, right? But then you love them because you see something in them they don't see in themselves. You say what they are. You tell them, maybe you're gonna be a real good man. I love the way you take care of people. Speak words in the people. Build them up. Your words are important. Don't be a fault finder. Be a hope dealer. You know, for some of you, like, man, Sean, you're kind of passionate about this message. Well, I am passionate about it because I messed it up so much. I messed this up my entire life. This is, this is my story. If you know my story, my family, man, this is as critical as it gets out. It's never good enough, you know? And so for me, like, man, I've been that guy that's criticized. I've criticized my kids. I've criticized a church. I know what it's like to tear down every little nitpicky thing. That was me. But what I did learn is I'm not perfect. I shouldn't be a fault finder. I should be the person who leads the way. I gotta believe in what I'm doing. I gotta believe in people. I'm not gonna help somebody by hurting somebody. I'm not gonna pull the speck out of somebody's eye when it's a giant beam sticking out of mine, amen? Like I'm gonna start looking to help people and it starts with me and I'm not gonna change anybody else. I'm just gonna help follow Jesus. Just follow me as I follow Jesus. And so this morning I learned that, that God had loves me in spite of my sin. That his amazing grace is so much bigger than anybody's sinfulness. Like God loves people more than I do. Like my expectations don't matter. Jesus tolerates it. Jesus loves them where they're at. Jesus is willing to put up with long enough for him to change them. I need to get out of the way and let God do his work in my life and his work in people's lives around me. I want to be a, a hope builder, not a, not a fault finder. I want to give out hope to people. You know, I want a church to be a church full of hope dealers, amen? And we can be a church full of people. People here are like, man, there's so much hope in that place. We don't have anything special. We got Jesus, right? Like we don't have these magic pills. We just got Jesus. We're going to show them the hope of the world. So you have no idea what a single word of encouragement from a man like Phil McGee can do in my life. 
Man, I almost quit on ministry when I was 20 years old because somebody, one person, a critic, a critic who had the loudest mouth in the room, but it wasn't the best opinion, said something in my life that I could have easily said, this isn't worth doing because it's hard. People don't care about it. And there's a lot of negatives and there's no reason I should be doing this right now. But I got people like Phil McGee that picked me up and let me borrow their hope and say, you know what? God's going to use you. Don't pay attention to the critics. Outlast the critics. Live longer than the critics. Follow what God's calling you to do, Sean, and you're going to do great things. I believe in you. Man, we leave a church full of hope dealers today. We build people up. We point people to Jesus. But I hope that's what God calls for your life and say yes to it today. Father, we come before you. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, the ultimate hope dealer. God, that you died on the cross for us. God, I pray you do your work in our lives. God, I pray I confess to you, God, that I've not been perfect. God, I've been the, the fault finder. But today, God, I want to be the hope dealer for you. God, I pray that we wouldn't point out people's faults, God, but they would offer words of hope and healing to those around us. Hey, as we take a minute to pray, for those of you who say, you know what, I've been a little critical. I've been harsh. I can tear people down so easy, maybe in my marriage, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe it's my kids. I can be that critical person, but I want God to help me not to be a fault finder, but to be a hope dealer today. If that's you, would you just lift your hands high and say, amen, I'll be a hope dealer today. I hope everybody's hand is up. I hope everybody wants to be a hope dealer this morning. Father, I pray with these hands lifted towards the eternal hope dealer, God, that you do your work. God, you help us see your power. God, that our words will be healing, God that we life givers, not life takers. Help us remember that all the things we do in our life, God, that we breathe into people, God. We wouldn't point out their faults, God. We'd help them see what is right, God. Help us to be wise. God, help us point people to you. God, help us to bring words of healing, God, relationships that maybe we messed up, maybe with our spouse. God, I pray today we'd have an intimate conversation. God, we'd use our words to help people. God, they're so important. We're not, they're not just falling on deaf ears. So God, I pray we restore relationships with our kids, with our spouses, with our family. God, I pray for a church to be a hope-dealing church this morning. May there are those of you this morning who continue to pray. They're listening to my words. You may say, I'm the chief fault finder. Man, I've been deceived by the enemy. I've been kind of a negative person for most of my life. And Satan tells us all the things we're doing wrong in our life. He accuses us all the time. I mean, sometimes we think, well, I can get away with this. Nobody's going to care. It's not going to matter. I can do whatever I want. But afterwards, you do something wrong. You feel like God can never use you. Because Satan starts to whisper in your ear another lie that you're just not good enough. That you're almost pathetic. You'll never be good enough for God because God can't love somebody like you. And these are all lies of the enemy. You might be here this morning trapped in sin, accuse your lies of the greatest fault finder, Satan. But today, Jesus, our greatest hope dealer, wants to set you free from the power of sin and give you new life in him. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, to set you free of your sin. And Jesus nailed your sin to the cross over 2,000 years ago. He died and rose again. Why? So anyone can call on the name of Jesus, no matter where you've been, how dark your life seems. The call in the name of Jesus can be saved, forgiven, and made new. So across this room, if that's you today, you say, I need Jesus. I need the living hope. I'm dead in my sins, but I'll be alive to God. I wanna, I'm one prayer away from experiencing new life. So across this room, if you need his grace, if you need his forgiveness, if you want to turn your life to Jesus this morning, if that's you, would you lift your hands high without anybody looking around and say, I need Jesus this morning. May I see a hand? That's awesome. Anybody else say, I need Jesus this morning? Say, I want Jesus, the hope dealer in my life. It's so incredible. If that's you, I just want you to ask, pray his prayer to Jesus. Jesus, surrender my life to you. God, you are the hope dealer. God, I've been living my own way. God, I've been a critic. God, I've taken the lies of the critic. But I want to live for you, God. I want to be a person of hope. God, I want to be forgiven of my sins. So thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for me. God, make me new. Change me from the inside out. God, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is the end of this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another inspirational podcast. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com.